guys, welcome to the No Fly List, where we talk about what it's like to be brown in America. I'm Athir. And I'm Layla. And today we're talking to award-winning author and poet Hala Alian, who recently published her first novel, Salt Houses. Um, but first, Layla, I want to catch up with you. So you just got back from Guantanamo Bay? Yeah, I was in Guantanamo because they finally caught me. <laughs> how, did, how did they just let you out? Um, well, I had to break out. No, actually, I was there covering the 9-11 trial because contrary to popular belief, uh, nothing has happened with them. They're still like, they're actually, still they're not strong. even. Yeah, they're still going strong. They're not even. <laughs> they're not I'm even in at the actual trial phase. They're still in pre-trial, which means that they, they haven't, haven't reached trial. They haven't even started the trial. So they, they haven't even started the discussion oh of guilty or, or, or not guilty. Then why are they in Guantanamo Bay? Isn't, isn't that the ultimate That's question? question. <laughs> so they're not proven guilty, but mm-hmm. then they're... At this moment detained. in time. They're yeah. just detained. 18 years later. 18? At 17 years later. I guess their uh, right to still speedy trial is relative, not, right? Not like, guilty. Yeah. Oh, so relative. You have no idea. Um, yeah, I saw a picture on Instagram of like you had shorts on and it was like your butt said like mm-hmm. Guantanamo lifeguard or something. What? Yes. I bought these shorts. <laughs> I bought these shorts that say Guantanamo Bay lifeguard. Actually, I got the whole kit. So it was also a shirt because I thought, I thought it was very ironic. I've found since then that people don't think it's funny. They kind mm. of think it's problematic, but yeah, I, I had, um, a fellow journalist take a picture. I was like, Hey, can you, I know, <laughs> I know, I know you're like on all these like international humanitarian aid boards and you're like really important in like fucking Scotland or wherever you're from, but can you take this picture of my butt? That was my next question. I'm like, who took that picture? She's there alone. <laughs> this, no, no. It was this really awesome woman who's like an inter- international lawyer and is like very important. Um, like, I know so you're like Scotland. busy, like, uh, trying to fight for human trying rights like, and yeah. stuff, but could you take a picture of my butt? Yeah. So I had them take a picture of my butt. And then the thing is, because it's like such a secure area at the end of every day, um, the, the military has to look through every piece of media that, that you created while you were there. So every photo, if you recorded anything, every record, whatever it is, and they have to approve it to make sure that it doesn't re- reveal any right. anything that could threaten national right, 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 right. security. So normally that's like if there's like a radar tower in the background mm-hmm. or something, or if there's a person that... Like identifying should... information. Yeah, or exactly. So... Um, you were not a threat to national so, so your butt, butt. Your butt was I okay. Had to, like, I had to, he was like, like, this sergeant came up to us and was like, did anybody take any pictures today? Uh, I can I can approve those for you if you want. And I was like, mm, what do I do? Do I, like, break oh. the law and not show them at all? Which yeah. no, but nobody would have died. Like, I made sure that there was nothing in that picture except my butt. Um, or do I show him? And then I was like, I'm really scared. I don't want to get banned for life. So I, like... <laughs> yeah. Or got, get stuck there for like yeah exactly get banned or stuck so I, so I gave him I was like yeah I got these I got these photos can you look at them and I I walked away and everybody did you just other, turn your head as yeah like, I just yeah, was like I, I can't this is like yeah. really is too embarrassing and everybody all the other journalists like knew that I had taken that photo <laughs> so they all were like watching him and it was it was truly You're the most really amazing thing. blazing yeah. trails over there in Gitmo. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, it honestly, I, I have no regrets. I really love that. Were picture. people, what were the, why were people saying it was problem? I mean, what were sort of the reactions that people were having to the photo? Uh, people, people there didn't care. They thought it was funny because everyone is so numb to it. But people here were like, oh, because it's a human. Like, like you're trivializing. The, yeah, exactly. Okay. The existence of Guantanamo, right. the detention center, right. is like a huge human rights violation. Right. Yeah, it's, it's a big problem. Um, and I guess the rest of the world doesn't always have the sort of dark humor that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, like I got my boyfriend also a shirt that said like detainee operations. And he was like, I can't fucking wear this. Oh my God. Where are you going like, to wear that to the I gym? Was like, you can, no, yeah, yeah. I was like, you can wear it when you go for a run. And he was like, no. That could be like um, Halloween. the worst place for him to wear it as he's running <laughs> outside. <Halloween costume> yeah. <laughs> but I, I think they're really funny. I don't know. I have a lot of get more swag now that, um, I find really excited because it, it's hilarious that that even exists. Like that they have a gift shop. I that will sells say the that. fact that there's a gift shop is in <laughs> and of itself like a satire. Like not like just, they get tourists. Like who? They don't get tourists, but they have like all the military families People that live come there. And, visit, and yeah. I guess like I really want a memory of this. I yeah. souvenir. <laughs> don't care. Yeah, they, I, don't I mean, think I mean, they don't. Maybe they don't. Yeah, they don't care. You know, they're. To, I think to them, it, it's like the detention center is just one part of like this much more grand mm-hmm. military story with a lot of history and. It's part of a narrative that's yeah, a lot much larger than just exactly. Guantanamo, yeah. Whereas for us, it's like mm-hmm. what the fuck? Like, it why represents something very different. They used to have a shot glass because it's in Cuba. <laughs> oh, Hold on, no, they have so many shot glasses, but this one specifically, it's in Cuba. So there's a lot of like in the gift shop, a lot of like pirate stuff, like pirate themed stuff, mm-hmm. and they used to have this one. That said, it had like a picture of like a skull and crossbones and a pirate thing, and it said like "beat them till they can't get up." Guantanamo Bay, which oh apparently is like a pirate joke, and oh. or like a navy, like it's something totally unrelated, but it was like the most Sorry. hilarious thing. To oh my god! <laughs> How could they not have picked up on? I think they the did because it was there the previous time I, I went, but it wasn't oh, there okay. this time. I think it's because we made a big deal about it, like. Me and like the other journalists who were like, "What the fuck? Oh my what god! It's like torture so tactics. Yeah. Cheers, guys." <laughs> I don't know if you feel the same way, Hala, since we're all Arab ladies. Like, I would feel really nervous being there. I like, feel I, so uncomfortable. I feel so yeah. uncomfortable being around a cop, yeah. like in, yeah, yeah, yeah. in the U.S. Imagine being it at Guantanamo. Like, yeah, it's once you like in the beginning it was, and I was like super nervous. You have to go on to the the same base where. Um, Air Force One takes off to take like the plane. It's like a chartered plane. And when I first tried to go through, uh, like a cab, I was going with a cab and a cab can't get through. So the, like all the soldiers came in front of the gate and were like, stop the car. And I was like, oh shit, I don't know what I did wrong. Even though I like, I knew that. Like they found the butt yeah. picture. Immediately I'm like, holy shit. So I like got out and I was like, everything's fine. I'm sorry. Yeah. This is crazy. Well, Hannah, I'm so glad to have you on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, on that note, so I'm so yeah. glad that you guys aren't detained. <laughs> yes. Um, but we're detaining you well. for this podcast. Yeah. So thank you for allowing us to do that. Um, tell us a little bit about, you know, the work that you've been doing, Salt Houses, the recent novel. Um, sure. The inspiration for that. Yeah. So it's So the novel came out a year ago. I actually just got the paperback very recently. Um, that's coming out June 8th or 6th. It doesn't really matter. Sometime in early June. Okay. So basically the novel is a multi-generational story of a Palestinian family. And it was inspired in part by, I'd say like I borrowed heavily the geographical narrative from my own family. Um, they went to Kuwait um, from Palestine. And well, actually my mother was born in Kuwait, but my father left Palestine, went to Kuwait, met and married there. 
And then as so many Palestinians faced after they kind of escaped to Kuwait after 48 or 67, there ended up being the invasion of Saddam mm-hmm. Hussein. And so they were displaced again. And so the whole novel kind of started off of this off on this idea of like multiple displacements which i'm Mm -hmm. very interested in um like how in one lifetime and you see it now happening in like syria right Mm -hmm. so there are people who went to syria seeking shelter from other conflicts Mm -hmm. who are now facing you know the syria like twice displaced yeah right um twice and i would say even thrice displaced for some people so that was sort of what started it and then i just yeah it just turned into this sprawling multi-generational book about this one family that actually their namesake is from you oh yeah cool well that's the only reason i asked about it (laughs) (laughs) we're just trying to get to the heart of it oh yeah i remember you being like what's a palestinian last name and i was like we were talking about this like yakub is actually like my great great grandfather's name Mm -hmm. um but legally it's my last name but my last name is the same as Layla's, which is barghouti but um you know i think they don't allow like six names on your <laughs> yeah so they cut it off so they cut it off on, yeah my dad was oh. like we'll just stop here because we all ha- technically have like six names um oh i didn't realize that so they just stopped it before they got to barghouti yeah it's like my great great grandfather's name or something interesting um and then Layla has also two names which is going to confuse me because i might switch back and <laughs> forth because i knew her always as phoebe but you know you're also you're a journalist and you go under layla sometimes too right what yeah what do you um, what do you typically i usually i work under layla because i mean that's what like my dad's family calls me and i'm like not super well long story short after <laughs> After 9-11, all of my siblings and I, I mean, it doesn't matter so much with the girls, like, because both Phoebe and Layla are, like, pretty, could be anything, um, but my little brother, his first name is technically Fakhri, but when you oh, write it, it looks I like know Fakhri. that. Yeah. But I only know his Yanni. Yeah, no, Yanni is actually his middle name. Oh, so you um, switched. Yeah, so they're... Oh, so he did Arab first. The, the, yeah, the, yeah, it's, like, so arbitrary, but, yeah. How far How far related are the two of you? Um, it's kind of confusing because also my sister-in-law is her dad's cousin. Your sister-in-law yeah, is so her dad's cousin. We were already related. Oh, right, right. And now there's another relation. Yeah. And then somebody got Someone married. Someone got married. Yeah. I, see, yeah. I see, I see. What's a kissing cousin? <laughs> is that a thing? Is that from Alabama? <laughs> I don't know. It sounds like I've heard it like said before. Um, I think it's like the cousin you can kiss because you're far enough away from them. Like it's like the threshold of. Oh, like how how many cousins? I guess apart. I'm asking, can the two of you kiss? Um, <laughs> that's what I'm really trying. To I get think at. we could. Yeah. Right. I mean, are you asking this to right now? <laughs> <laughs> well, the re- well, the reason I brought up our backgrounds also is because we all have such unique backgrounds, and yeah. you're talking about displacement, and one of the things that. Hello, uh, you and I first connected on is when we met in grad school. Um, you said your name, which you said also Hala. I'm whispered, yeah. Because I'm so I used to the, pandering to like a white right. American audience. And like for three months, I thought your name was Hala and I didn't know it was Hala, which I know no one can really hear the distinction unless you're Arab from. It's a different letter. It's a different yeah. letter. It's a different name. And I was like, oh, that's what your name is. But I was like, I was like, where are you from? And you were like, oh, I'm I'm Palestinian, but I grew up in like Texas and Oklahoma. And I was like, oh my God, I'm Palestinian. I grew up in Alabama. Yeah. And like Layla grew up in Alabama or for some time. And it, it's just crazy where our Absolutely. lives take us. Absolutely. I mean, you lived all over. I lived in Palestine. You lived in Greece. And Absolutely. you know, it's just crazy um, kind of what brought us all here. And, and, and I feel like those sort of, I mean, you end up, sure, you end up having fragmented identity. Like I feel like there's so much emphasis on the 
the cost and the downside of kind of moving around or sort of being the quote unquote third culture kid. But I do think mm-hmm. there is, there's a lot of power to it and there's a lot of resilience that comes with it. Like you learn to adapt to different places. You learn to make friends in different places. You learn to speak different languages. You, I mean, you learn essentially, yes, to be rootless is a painful thing, but it also means you can put down roots wherever you go. And like, I do think there's a really nice way to put that. Like you can find a home kind of a new home. Yeah. If you don't have one, you're just sort of like you, you become your home. I feel like New York is perfect for that. Right. It's a good place for, yeah. There's also a bad side though, because I'm, I don't know if I told you this out there, but I'm like, my my roommates basically decided to, they're a couple and they decided to get their own apartment. And since I'm a freelancer, I can't, like, I don't have pay stubs, right? So I can't, it is so hard to find an apartment. And my first, I haven't lived anywhere besides, like, high school and somewhat college. I have not lived anywhere in my adult life for more than, like, now, I don't know, 14 months or something. Like, just over a year. And when they said that they were going to move and that I would have to find my own place, my mindset wasn't, okay, I'll do whatever I can to get an apartment and, like, stay rooted here my thought process was oh okay I guess I'm moving to like another country oh, or another place to leave New York exactly like oh, that is it. and even now where I'm like trying really hard well I guess I'm not really trying but I'm trying to try to like to stay and to stay um like rooted and mm-hmm. stationary yeah. for, is that, for do you feel like that's a, like a coping mechanism of just- I don't I don't know if it's a coping mechanism so much as just like what I'm used to because before before my, me and my siblings moved to Greece without my dad, but before that we moved every single year. So until within Greece, no, no, in the States. So before, because my dad wasn't always in Alabama. Right. And now he's in DC. So like, he didn't even stay in the same place. And my stepmom, who's like my mommest mom is in Korea. Yeah. (laughs) What is she doing in Korea? She's there for work. Like, I feel like all like, it's like inherent that none of us yeah. can fucking stay Nobody put. Nobody can stay put. And it, when I was younger, I was like, I was about to be like, when I was young. Um, but when I was younger, I was like, oh, this is great. Like, I'm a free spirit. I can do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. I don't get tied down. And I was like, that's awesome. But now I'm like, fuck. It means that I have, when I go into job interviews, people are like, why did you move so much? Yeah. And I don't have an answer. I'm not yeah. like, because it, it's never like it's I not consciously. Out of yeah. yeah, I understand. And I never decide. Oh, I'm gonna move now. It's always like something. Circumstance. Yeah. yeah. But instead of saying and fight to st- fighting to stay in the place, I'm just like, okay, I'll go somewhere new. Right. In some way, it feels easier. For me, like, I went to, like, eight different schools because I moved from Alabama and Palestine back and forth a lot. Mm -hmm. So I've been to several different schools, and I just remember never wanting to be attached to a home, like a physical house. Like, I never – because I knew we were going to move around so much. So, like, we only had this one house or flat in in, uh, Palestine, in Ramallah. That was the only – that was the longest place I've ever Mm. went back to and lived in. So when we – we didn't own the building we were renting from our um from our like friends and neighbors so when their kids got older and got married they wanted like the apartment and so my parents like went and, mm. and got another apartment but it was so sad to me because it was like the one place that I felt attached most to. attached to that I was like yeah. I could finally call this place home yeah I don't know do you do you I have feel like, like I you know I feel like it would have been smarter to have that outlook of not getting attached to physical places but I have this really weird relationship with a part like with physical homes where they just become so integrated into my selfhood Mm -hmm. like I dream about places I lived in seven or eight years ago like constantly like I'm constantly thinking about like 
And even just like I'll be sort of sitting around like like I'll walk by a, a house or a townhouse or something and be like, oh yeah, that reminds me of the place in like Maine and like, oh, that reminds me of like that place in the Emirates and like that place. I just, I don't know what it is about physical space, but I've always had, I would say as a psychologist, yeah. like an almost unhealthy yeah. like attachment to physical space and like like I will say goodbye to walls before I leave a place like I kiss the walls of apartments and houses (laughs) and I like go into rooms and I like lay my cheek against the wall and I'm just like thank you for like like a breakup like thank you for letting me stay here for a while like thank you for being but it is very much I know it's like really it's it's there's some damage there (laughs) but it is but it's gotten like which is so weird now because we just moved into this house yeah and like am ostensibly laying down roots and I've noticed that to speak to your point Phoebe that like I also have always sort of felt that restlessness and I remember I I stayed put here out of necessity more than anything else because I was doing a doctoral program so automatically I knew what was going to happen the year after and then the year after that and the year after that and I remember when it came time to apply for internship I was like applying in Hawaii Mm -hmm. like I was just like I'm gonna like I'm leaving it's time to like go and then I met my husband (laughs) Like just as I, right before I had to rank where I was trying to go, um, because it was like a match system basically. And ever since that, I feel like that's been the new necessity of like stability and having to stay in a place. Not that, not that he's particularly attached to this specific like house or the specific city, but that there's something about then starting to nest with another you're person. laying down roots and where you're laying like, down roots as a family yeah right like so if our family of origins are scattered which they are like my, my dad's in Beirut my mom's in the Emirates my, you know um and they kept moving which is really funny too it's like after we left they kept yeah, going yeah exactly and it's yeah. like guys come on <laughs> see my parents did they just stayed in Alabama I mean they moved which back is, and forth between Tulsa and Alabama which is yeah. I'm sure its own dysfunction but <laughs> which is interesting because it is also like I mean th- there are a lot of Arabs I think and a lot of Palestinians too like we're talking about kind of one end of it which is this restlessness that like makes it really hard to stay still anywhere or to allow anywhere to really become a place that you get attached to but I do think that a lot of people also will just be like this is my home this is like you know, I live in Alabama. I live in Texas. I am more American than the Americans. Like, I'm not that kind of refugee. I'm not that kind of immigrant. Like, and that is also another, it's it's still a reaction to the same thing. They're just two, I feel like they're two sides of the same coin. But yeah, I think, I mean, I do think, I think of like my family of origin as being all over the place. And then my family of choice or like my new family or whatever being, you know, my husband, that has that has required me to rewire my understanding of what it means to be in a place mm-hmm. because it requires a different skill set than what it did to survive in my family. Of well, origin. you're also in a different stage of life than yeah. you were when you were in school and, you, yeah. you know, and you're not reliant. Like, I mean, your parents, like, you know this and you know this too, if you're from like your school, like your parents would be like, it's time to move. Mm-hmm. It's not like they're like, I, I'm wondering what you as a 12 year old have to say about yeah. this next step, <laughs> especially era parent. Like they're, but you know what? It makes you more adaptable. You have you met people who've been in the same yeah, school since K five till they graduate? Weird. I can't like I'm like what? I, can't fathom fathom it. It. I know yeah. I cannot even understand. I, there's not a person in this world besides my blood relatives and my only my immediate blood relatives because so many mm-hmm. like yourself mm-hmm. included. I met like way later in life. There's not a single person on this earth that I've known since like childhood. Yeah. besides my little exactly. brother. Exactly, and I can't. Even my parents, because we also like flipped between parents right, often. Right. So they're like so even they didn't know you the entire life. Yeah, yeah, but I yeah. Like, didn't have one. We lived in Palestine without my dad because he didn't. Ha- he's Palestinian, but 
he didn't have um, like Palestinian citizenship at the time, so, mm. and he didn't. He only had it. He only got it like ten years ago. He was going on his American passport as a tourist, which is crazy. So he that had is, to stay and work like. in Alabama, and so my mom and my brothers and I would live there um, for like chunks at a time. Mm. And then it just got too dangerous to live there. Like the plan was always for my dad to come back and move there, mm. but it just got too unstable. So we would just move back to Alabama. And, you know, they're comfortable there or whatever. But like I moved fine, here yeah. after college and I was like, peace, I can't, I can't live here forever. Do you see yourself leaving New York? Leaving in New York? Mm-hmm. I, no, I, I don't think I would right now. I can't find a better place, mm-hmm. um, you know, for comedy and for just, you know, and my fiance is here, which is nice. So That's I'd like to stay. You say <laughs> the word fiance. Because it sounds really weird. That's right. He is I, your fiance. Can you tell how red I am? Oh my God. I know there needs to be a that's right an American say. word for it or an American an English word. God, I can't. An American old man. Alabama upbringing, yeah. guys. An American word for what? Fiance. It feels French. weird. I know, but the, is there? Please. I mean, no. It's the only word. My betrothed. My, be- yeah. my betrothed. Yeah, that sounds more natural. My betrothed. No, I've been saying it in stand up because it's part of my jokes. Oh, it's part of like the like bit. a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it does sound weird. Um. But anyway, back to you. Oh, let's talk about your your husband, Johnny. He is a Caucasian American. <laughs> he is a white boy. How did you meet he him? He's a white, huh? How did you meet him? Like at um, McDonald's? I met him or? at, no, actually, I met him, so there is, uh, I did a TEDx Brooklyn talk. Okay. And his, humble brag. <laughs> yeah. Go and on. His, his, it's, I know it, the problem is anytime anyone asks, yeah. it is a part of the story. And so there's no way to tell the story. He made it part without, of the story. That's <laughs> <laughs> where it is. It's always so, because then there's like a whole conversation about that. But, but it really isn't. So I'll, I'll tell the story and then you can tell me if there's a way to tell the story. Without. <laughs> so his um, good friend of like, you know, 10 plus years was organizing the TEDx Brooklyn and she was sort of going through who she was going to invite and looking at different like, you know, videos and whatever. He was at her house while she was watching a video of me reading a poem. And he was like, oh, I really like that poem. Like, that's interesting. Who's this person? So he entered the event having like, like sort of just being curious about my like personhood. Yeah. And I, I did not cause I didn't know of him yet. And I, so I go to the reading and I remember writing her a week before drafting an email that I didn't end up sending that was going to be like, I'm so sorry. I'm backing out. I just can't do it. Like I was just so stressed and I had so many things going on and I was applying for um, internship. Actually, that was the year that I had to figure out where I wanted to go. And I just like forced myself to go and I remember performing and then afterwards meeting a bunch of people and she was like, here's actually her here's boyfriend Johnny. at the time. Here's Johnny. Her boyfriend at the time. I love saying that. The first thing that was ever said to me about him was um, her, this guy was like, this is the best guy. Like, have you met Johnny? This is the best guy I know. And I was like, that's a lot to live up to. And Johnny was like, yeah, it is. And that was like our first interaction. It was very sweet. Um, and did he live up to that? He yeah. did not. <laughs> Who can? Who can Nobody can live up to no one, the best no one guy Unless, like, yeah, like, maybe you don't know a lot of people. No, he's fabulous. Um, do, did your family um, have any kind of issue feelings with Feelings about it. They had feelings. They had some feelings about it. They were, I will say, I, I think I primed my family before... I think I sort of primed my family beforehand um, in that I was had a pretty wild adolescence and like university years. Um, so they were sort of like, 
they knew I was already on an unconventional Arab daughter path in a lot of ways. So I remember when I told my mother about it, she, I think my, my dad was more just like, who is this person? Like he would have been with anybody. Like, do I don't like, who's oh, this person yes. towards Zion? He would have had that it reaction. Been, yeah, it wouldn't have really mattered. Yeah. Um, like he sort of, I think whoever I was going to introduce him to was like guilty until proven otherwise sort of thing. <laughs> and then my mom, I think it was more, there was a little bit more like, you know, a desire for like, an Arab son-in-law, Muslim son-in-law, not, and we're pretty liberal. So I do feel lucky in that sense. Like there was never a moment. And I know a lot of people who are afraid of like, they will get disowned if they bring home somebody that's like not Arab or not Muslim or whatever. I, that was never a fear of mine, but I was like, Ooh, may this be like, this might be a rupture or something in the relationship. And they, my mom like sort of had those feelings. And then when she met him, it was like, okay, because he's very, he's like a lovable, disarming he is person. Very lovable. Right? We all love Johnny. Yeah, Shout out Johnny. He's a sweetheart. So like, I think she just like met him and was like, and her and like the larger family in general was, including my father's side, who are much more conservative and much more religious. Um, and I think he was just sort of like very sweet. And they were all like, yeah, okay, like this, this is a good man. He's gonna take care of Hada, um, which is sort of how they conceptualize what a good husband is right no that's how parents i i think evaluate the the partner for me i i didn't feel like it was i'm i'm happy that it worked out that the person that i fell in love with is also palestinian and muslim but it would have been a huge issue with my parents they wouldn't have disowned me they would have just been super angry and it would have been something that we would have had to work through yeah um but i also just try to not let those relationships happen because I didn't want to be put in that position. Right, right. Whereas for me, I feel like I was actively like not, I just was so traumatized by certain interactions I had with Arab men when I was like in my late teens, early 20s that I was like, that's it for like Arab boys. No way. Um, oh yeah. So I was I like, had no idea. Yeah, for me, it's interesting. Like white men were safe. I mean, they were like, they were, they were safe. It's like Stockholm syndrome. (laughs) Now now I look back on it and I'm like, yo, you were walking in like the den of wolves. Like, what are you doing? But I think, I think for me, it had to do with like also things about, you know, like sexuality and uh, like, there are certain expectations. Like, yeah, like certain expectations of like behavioral, societal standards, double, double standard, things like that, that I think from the men, a lot of the white men that I knew, that those were not quite as pressing. I also think I was too young to realize that just because those would not be issues doesn't didn't mean that like values wouldn't be an issue or like the fact yeah. that you have different cultural backgrounds and like that's certainly something that like I've had to work through in my marriage. Um, but they were at least at that stage in my life just they were just safe for me. Are there things that you feel like you have to explain sometimes to Johnny about? Arab culture yeah. or things that he doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> all, the time. all the time. I mean, it's constant. I think he also has to explain, like, it's... it's White culture. It's interesting. When <laughs> you, you know white culture. We all know. I mean, I mean... Well, we're immersed in it, right? We have to know it. Like, to survive, you have to know it. But, but I feel like there are a lot of... There are a lot of things that I feel like I've sort of simplified and been kind of condescending towards in terms of, like, Eurocentric values. And... I have come to see the ways in which certain of those, some of those values can be liberating. Like in terms of, I'm very much a collectivist person, but I have come to see how like being individualistic in certain 
capacities in certain settings and certain um, areas of my life has actually been like really important for me. And, and I would say too, like in terms of family, like individuating a little bit and like separating a little bit out of like certain in let's say enmeshed familial structures mm-hmm. um has actually helped me be closer to my family mm-hmm. in like a way that feels a lot more i don't know just like freeing um which i don't think i i, I don't think i really i don't know like i don't think i, I understood the way that white people did things what do, what do you mean by that like like because i also the other thing is i feel like white culture is so weirdly um, like mosaic almost because well, it's, it's white, whatever white people want it to be exactly because right? yeah. white people have yeah. like they have their own first idea of what idea of what they are yeah so they we like I see them as like whatever this group of collective white people they see themselves mm-hmm. as like no my family came over on the Mayflower versus my family immigrated from Spain two hundred years right. ago right right May, hopefully those two aren't the same thing I'm not very sure about my American <laughs> <They're history. not laughs> but um, the Mayflower in Spain <laughs> I I don't know where the Mayflower came from but um yeah like I. So when you say that, when you say like, I think like, let me give you an example. So we, I think the best example that I can think of in terms of family is like feeling familial obligations and sort of filial obligations that I think really came from places of guilt for me and shame rather than from from a place of like wanting to be close to family or wanting to do right by family or wanting to be there for family or wanting to take care of family, right? Like I think there is... I do think this is like an Arab daughter, like the good daughter syndrome of just sort of being the caretaker and like, you know, putting other people first. And I think for me, it it took him pointing out things from a very outsider. And, and that is has been one of the nice things about having married someone outside the culture is like he kind of can look at it from a, an angle that I never would think of. So he will sometimes just, he historically in the first couple of years would just sort of point out like, wow, you feel really horrible after you do X, Y, or Z. Yeah. You know, like after you like talk with this person about this or after like people bring, you know, after people bring up like, when are you going to have children or when are you going to do whatever? Like you really like get into a spiral for, you know, a few days afterwards and feel really shitty after like those sort of gatherings. So I, I think those were, and before it was pointed out to me, I, I, I never really picked it apart. I was just sort of like, well, that's family, you know, like you love them and it's great and you have a fabulous time with them, but also like you feel terrible sometimes. And like, that's just what it is. And I think having somebody on the outside point things out, help me sort of pick apart and unravel for myself. Like, oh, these interactions are particularly triggering. Oh, like I really dislike having to talk about X, Y, or Z or like, oh, I feel like I don't have ownership over my life when I'm told this or that. And then that, and then of course, negotiating it is very, so like, the way he negotiates with his parents and his family is very direct, very no nonsense. It's very much done as like an adult speaking to another adult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas you're forever like, a child. I'm forever, I'm forever. I am forever. I am forever twelve and a half in yeah. my parents' eyes, and there's nothing I can do about it. And so yeah. part of what I've had to and realize, it's, also, it's not an imagined like, thing. That's okay. It's, it's, that's yeah. really how it, is. it yeah. truly is. And I think that has part of my thing is like for a while I was like, why are the white tactics not working on my parents? You know, like I've like watched my husband do this with his mom and dad, and they're just like, I respect your decision. And like, like, I would what do the it hell is what the fuck are you doing? My mom's like, I don't care how old you are if you're forty. Daughter. yeah you're my daughter yeah or like you do not i mean not that he's being disrespectful but their idea of disrespect is very different i mean in his in their idea that is absolutely disrespectful yeah. this agreement is disrespectful does he call them by his 
by their first name? No. There is. Does he call them by your name? No. Does he call <laughs> He calls his them, parents. No, no. He calls no, them. Actually, he calls... No, no. He calls them... Yeah. He calls them mom and dad. Um, but he... But it's just the way he, he speaks to them like he's an adult yeah. man who's like 34 speaking to another adult man or an adult woman. And I yeah, can't. <laughs> I just cannot. And I think like having... Re- like So he'd sort of point things out to me and I would be like... I'm just going to be stern with them. And that would fail drastically. And then I realized, you know what? I just have to figure out a way that works for this particular, like, culturally is appropriate. And then also and then within the, the family, family dynamic is a whole yes, other thing. Yes, yeah. That, like, I just can't, you know, copy paste. But this is a long-winded way of answering your question. <laughs> that, yes, that's, that's, I think, one of the ways in which it's been, it's actually been kind of cool to have someone from the outside. Yeah. It's funny because my, so my birth mother, who we talked about briefly, maybe before the mics went on, um... Oh no, and after them. Like I she doesn't know anything about my real life because she is so paranoid and so like like one weird fact away from a heart attack. Mm. Um I don't tell her anything about my life. I don't tell her that I freelance. She I know you go to Guantanamo Bay. No. <laughs> Imagine. Not, not in a thousand years. I'm when freaked I, out. I'm not when even I a mother. Go on, when I go on vacation, I like make sure that I respond to her in like the Eastern time zone so that she doesn't catch on oh. that I'm somewhere else because it's not and that's not like like she has like major issues, so it's like it's something that I feel like I have to do to make sure yeah. that she is. Messy. You that's not okay. that you're not afraid of her. You're just like you want I'm, her to be okay. Yeah, yeah I guess. Okay. But then my my parents, like my dad mm-hmm. and his wife, I am more afraid of because yes. they, they feel more like traditional parents. Like I'm not taking care of them. Yes. They're taking yeah. care of me, and I still. So I don't tell my my real mom anything about my life, right? Maybe I'll tell her, like, I'll tell her if I have a boyfriend because for some reason that comforts her knowing that there's a man in my life. Um, But that's it. And then my my real parents, I won't tell them that I have a boyfriend because that (laughs) would piss them off, right? Oh, man. But I do tell them, like, about my neighborhood or, like, if... Your work. Yeah, yeah, about work. Like, they know that I'm a freelancer because they trust me to, like, you know, work my ass off. Whereas my mom would think that I must be dead if I'm freelancing. That must mean that I'm, like, like, destitute and, like, a hobo. So it's funny when I have to, like juggle the conversation yeah. it's like I have to like switch between the library of that's lives that's like code switching you're yeah, like code exactly. switching in terms of it's funny because I remember having this conversation with Johnny just and he's like well why can't you just tell your parents da 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 which I don't want to say on this podcast because there's a chance because that they might be listen, listen to it. that's I'm literally like, how I'm thinking yeah, right now how much so information can how, I yeah, how much information so my mom finds out what iTunes is yeah. um, and I'm like what are you crazy? Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> that's not a thing. I can't, and I feel the same way. There are certain things that you just have to kind of um, keep from them, unfortunately, because yeah. they don't get this world. And I feel like it's root. Like, there's this there, for a long time. It was like, well, you just have to respect my independence. You have to respect mine. And then it was like, well, you know what? You have to be culturally competent too, Hala. Yeah. And respect their values and their perspective and their worldview. And that doesn't involve you shoving it down their throat that like you want to date or you want to go out or mm-hmm. you used to drink or you used to whatever. Like, why? You got to pick That's your battles too. Respectful. They're not all worth. It's also just fighting. Like not respectful. And it's I think not, yeah. like we, we have a friend. We have a couple now that are friends, and I'm thinking about how to not identify anything <laughs> basically there it's it's an Arab what's their woman. social security it's, number <laughs> five 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 um it's an arab woman and a and a white man and they you know d- different backgrounds and different religions and different whatever and the the family of the of our friend of our female friend it, they're just like they, it's not even like the mother's like it's not even an option 
don't even. Are think you just talking about. about you again? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah like, my friend. It's a friend of mine that, okay, like, yeah. yeah. Uh, we're like the yeah. The yeah. parents are just like it's not. Like, so does she tell them? So that's an example. That's an example of, of like a couple that I know where like that would result potentially in being disowned. Oh, okay. Right. But so they don't know. They don't know about they their relationship. They don't know. Okay. They don't know. They don't know. I and get like that. Another, I like, totally they, get that. And then like another another couple, like they do, the mom recently met the person and like was like, nice, I met him. He's like, he's cool, but like never. This can never happen. <laughs> this will never happen. The end. Like move on. Like he's like, great. He's got to find someone else. Right. Like this is not going to work. And, and well, I it's think. It's like nothing. Per- it's not personal against. So that's been one of the difficult things with like the conversations with Johnny and I around this where like for Johnny, he's like, well, that's so like, it's so insular and it's so closed minded and you got to do this and you got to do that. And I'm like, but that's only if you're looking at it from your perspective, which is at the end of the day, like a very privileged perspective. And that assumes that the whole world needs to be held to this Eurocentric standard. And it assumes that 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 Eurocentric standard is is better than like other parts of the world, which I don't, and I think for a long time I felt that it was, and it's more in recent years where I'm like, I don't know that that's true. Yeah. At all. No, I, I remember thinking when I was younger, like, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have the type of relationship with your parents where like when you're having like relationship problems, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. with, you know, romantically that you can tell them and get their advice because that's something that well, like, that's, I can't even imagine. I, mean, I cannot yeah. even comprehend. I was trying to write, a joke about that yesterday because it's like I never went to my mom about boys or dating she met my dad three days before they got married so it's like what what experience could she I mean she's actually really great at giving advice in general about things that maybe she hasn't had experience in directly but growing up like that's such a weird thing to oh you can't I mean also also you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing exactly (laughs) you're gonna out yourself at 16 and be like I'm dating like what do you think of this yeah yeah like that's assuming that you can even be in relationships exactly but then it's it's the same thing whereas I got older I thought to myself well you know what I mean besides like the comfort of a parent it's not like they would be able to offer me insight you know it's not something that they would be able to relate to so me sort of being like woe is me I don't have this relationship this like fairy tale relationship with my parents it's, it is kind of like like going back it feels inaccurate because I don't you know like just because I never got to talk to them about that doesn't mean that our relationship was any less than right you know a white like Gilmore Girls type relationship exactly. which is not yeah realistic and I actually think I mean I feel like I made for some people the older I get the more profoundly grateful I am for my parents and the relationship that I have with them even with its dishonesty, like it, dishonesty, like even with like the secrets that have yeah. had to be kept, <laughs> the deceits that have to be that have had to be done, the ways in which we both like we each party is like misjudged the other or like held the other to like you know not realistic standards. Like I think there is a closeness there that, and and I do think it comes from like being from a part of the world that is so collectivist and that really does put emphasis on like the group mm-hmm. and the welfare of the family. And yes, that is, you know, I won't. I won't lie, like, if you have an identity that's, like, incompatible with that, right? So, like, if you are a member of, like, LGBTQ community and you, you know, you're in a family, and, like, then that, there's sort of, like, that pressure of, like, well, either never come out, mm-hmm. right? Or, like, if you come out, you might actually really be kicked out of the family. And and I, I'm not, you know, I mean, those are situations where it's, like, for sure, it's not, the collectivism can be a double-edged sword at the end of the day, right? Like, it can end up stifling an individual's welfare, and sometimes being dangerous but I do think in in the, the ways that I've experienced in my own life it's like actually enriched a lot of my life and enriched my relationship with them but it just has taken a while to figure it out yeah and I I would say it's also a bit more 
like rocky on the way to figuring it out than totally. the typical, totally. but I, yeah. I, you know, it's like, like you said, it's a double-edged sword. So you, you get beat up a little bit more figuratively, maybe sometimes literally. <laughs> and, um, but at the end of the day, you, you know, you're probably a lot, like, I think we're a lot more thick skinned than, you know, mm-hmm. women from other cultures like mm-hmm. that, that grow up simply more sheltered. Like it doesn't matter what the culture is, but, yeah. um, more you know like you can be whatever you want to be and you can do whatever you want to do whereas at least in my family it was like no if you you if you you know waste your life doing whatever the fuck it is like not 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 deeply disencouraged unencouraging but kind of like if you don't do something practical or that you love or whatever the metric is, if you don't do that, it is life or death because for them it was life or death. It's survival. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they teach you this sort of thing. They're not wrong. Exactly. And a lot of, this never happened to me. And if it happened to either of you, then maybe this is the wrong form to bring it up. But I agree. (laughs) And it actually also like my, like peers are a little bit younger than you guys. So they're inherently maybe a little bit more immature, but well, a feel lot like of people that I know <laughs> after college like went back home and just lived at home for a couple of years, not because they have like family-centric values, because mm-hmm. Americans don't tend to have that. They're yeah. kind of like, you turn 18, you fly away, you don't come back. Right. Um, but because they couldn't find a job or because they didn't know what to do or because they were just lazy and they didn't want to find a job and they mm-hmm. just wanted to live at home. And that was the type of thing that like for... For my parents, obviously it was an option. If I needed to be saved, they would save me. But at the same time, they never taught me, hey, if you feel tired and you don't want to work, just come home. You don't like, have to work. Yeah, right, right, they, right. Like, well, they instill so, this like work ethic. is like, go, go, go. And yeah, I appreciate exactly. that. I just like I, yeah. I, it's, and they It's didn't, paid off in dividends. They like, worked their asses off to be in this yeah, country. Yeah, and like yeah. they, they didn't do it so that we could also just sit back so, and chill. Yeah, and not, and, but... There's so many people that it just, they're just like, mm, if I can't find exactly the thing that I want to do, then I'm not going to do anything. And I'm, I'm going to wait gonna, for it. Yeah, yeah. And that, that is a mindset that I can't, yeah, I can't relate to. And I am so grateful so, that you tough it out. Yeah. You just have to tough it. I mean, immigrants like hustle more than any yeah. other group. Yeah. Across they the board. They for have sure. to hustle. And I think like, that's actually one of the things that has come up with me and Johnny, where it's like he, his parents, and he talks about actually not being a fan of this, but um, I mean, I think he appreciates, I think he sort of has mixed feelings about it, but just that his parents have always been super supportive and just been like, we love you no matter what, anything you do is fabulous. Like, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, do like follow your passion sort of thing. Like, you know, it's fine. Um, and I, and he said to me before, like, God, I kind of wish like I had your parents a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, because my parents were not like, my parents were not, their assumption was not that I was great no matter what. <laughs> they were like, their assumption was like, you're mediocre yeah. and you're fine. We're going to love you. But like, if you want like you the extra like stars, like yeah. you have to work for the extra yeah. stars, right? Like we're not going to treat you like an A plus if you're a B minus. <laughs> and like, I'm like, like that is, that's hard as a kid, yeah. but it's honest. Yeah. And I, and I actually like, I mean, you know, has it come with certain perfectionist, anxious cost? Sure. Oh yeah. But, but I do think it is, it's like what you were saying, it's like, it's the reason that like I work super hard and, and also it's the reason that for them, they were like, you know, writing is great and creativity is great and like, don't not do it. They've always been like, do it, but like also make sure that you get something where you're going to be able to have a job no matter what and make sure that you like get a doctorate in something. We don't care what it is. But yeah, sure you get yeah. it. Because for them, like when the Gulf War happened, they're like, their, their education is what saved them. Yeah. 
Like the, having a degree is what helped them get into graduates programs in Oklahoma and then like get out of like being destitute. Like that, that it's, it is survival. Yeah. It was a hundred for me too. It was like, they don't, they, my parents didn't care what the graduate degree was in as long as I did it. And it was so funny too. Cause I, from the beginning I was like, I don't want to, like, I don't, I yeah. hated school. I was never the type of kid that loved going to school or that loved like academia or anything like that. Um, so I ended up like doing a master's and after like, that's when I got for no less, I have to say that because she won't like, yeah. this is, how can you say you're not uh, an academic person? That's crazy. No, it's, it's she was like, I settled for my safety school. Yeah. <laughs> no, I actually, it's funny for undergrad. I didn't get into the schools that I wanted to go to because I was in high school in Alabama. Yeah. And I was <laughs> well, like, that's I just, why that's not your fault. <laughs> I just wanted to go somewhere that was like the opposite of Alabama and I didn't care where, and it was like tough to kind of find the right place. And when I graduated undergrad, they were like, my parents were like, what's the big deal? Like, I graduated undergrad without running water or something. Like, really? <laughs> Where like, did you something? do undergrad? Um, Michigan. So it was, like, a very, like, bi- it was just the opposite of, like, yeah. I went to, like, a tiny Catholic high school in Alabama, so I w- went to, like, a huge You went to Ann Arbor? Or, yeah, yeah, Ann Arbor. Um, so they didn't really care about undergrad. They were, like, good job, like, proud of you, but, like, What's that's next? nothing. This is yeah. bare minimum. Yeah. You've met now the bare minimum of, All three yeah. of my parents have like triple degrees, doctorates right, and whatever right, the right, crap right. they do. But then when I did my master's, I was like, this is such bullshit. Like it was like Stanford, I'm sure a lot of IVs are like this where once you get in, getting in is the hard part. Yeah. But once you get in, they kind of yeah. coddle you, totally, yeah. which was the opposite of Michigan yeah. where Michigan, you had to work your you ass to work off. Really to do, yeah. to I felt my undergrad was harder than grad school. Like yeah, grad school exactly. was like, oh, I worked so hard to get here yep. that it's like, and, oh. And it was so, so underwhelming. And I was like, this, this sucks. Like, I feel like I just wasted whatever, a hundred thousand yeah. dollars and I didn't learn anything. But to them, it was like the biggest the deal degree. ever. Yeah. They were yeah. like, oh, you're on a different level now you have a master's and it's so funny because now when I do I occasionally look for jobs because even though I love freelancing it is like again I can't get an apartment like it's hard to it's hard to plan long term when you're a freelancer so I look for jobs and my parents are always like you're gonna get any job because you have a master's and I'm like that is just so not how the world works everyone in New York or literally has a master's and is unemployed yeah yeah, like it means nothing, but to them, it's like the most important thing in the yeah. world. Well, for me, it was different because my dad only has an associate's degree, and my parents are like much older than both of yours because I have like older brothers. Um, and you know, my, my brother's like 40 something, but anyway, point is, my parents are a little older. So when my dad came here, like getting an associate's degree was like a big thing, and yeah. he like built his business from scratch and like did well for himself. But and my mom was like hairstyle, so they they didn't, um, have like these high degrees so for them it was really important that me and my brothers fulfilled that so there was that pressure also um and you know I think they're they're really proud of me for you know getting a master's and everything but then when I came out and said I want to do comedy they're like why would you do that what I'm like don't worry I'm like I'm not like quitting my job I I still like you know I can't afford to do com- just do comedy yeah. like I work full time whatever but to them when they heard like comedy they just panicked they're like what what are you doing I'm sure it makes no sense it doesn't yeah. like, it honestly doesn't it doesn't they have every right but, to be afraid I mean, like just like I don't think there is a, yeah it just is not a lot because it's like how are you going to give up something that is stable and guarantees a roof yeah. over your head and like food I, on your belly and the thing is 
the careers these days are not actually stable because you know how people used to stay in their job for 20 years oh yeah that's not the case no at it's, it's all like and career, yeah. and job security is very limited these right. days so it's not the same as what it was it's not the same market it's not the same economy that they were dealing with and and also it's also you're you're also not an immigrant so there's not the same we don't have the same attitude or attachment or relationship with the idea of like working and like what it means like we Mm -hmm. everyone here has is higher educated Mm -hmm. and we'll be fine yeah yeah Yeah. there's much not trying to tempt fate but like one way or another we'll be okay and we're all like frantically knocking on wood because we're except like not so we don't disrupt the microphone we're like spitting on each other the the evil eye that's wonderful um but yeah like i do think there's also like a different understanding of like what it means to have to have stability because and that's our privilege right like we've we've come up with stability and that's because they've given us a certain degree of it. Do you feel that your identity in any way, you know, cause the term like Brown is kind of relatively mm-hmm. new and people are like, what is, what is being what Brown mean? mean? Yeah. And like, for me, it's like that, you know, growing up in Alabama, I, I went to school that had white people, black people and Latino or few, a handful mm-hmm. of Latinos. So I was like kind of that other that mm-hmm. no one knew where to place me. And it wasn't like New York where obviously they're used to seeing so much diversity that constantly people were asking me like what my background was yeah. and where I was from. Yeah. And um, I had moved back from Palestine to Alabama and like right then 9-11 happened. So yeah. it was not the best time. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's where my identity really shifted. I think for a lot of people okay. that I speak to who are Arab or Brown, yeah. you know, South Asian and we're in Middle America Eastern, and we're in America, yeah, yeah. Um, felt that shift for them. Because before you kind of sort of flew under the radar, just being like, oh, this is like a vaguely ethnic person. Right. But yeah. they and on, on paper, like Arabs are still white. white. Still, yeah. yeah. Which is right. an absurd thing. Census, yeah. 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 But did you have that experience I, I mean, mine was a little different because I, so in terms of 9-11, I was in Beirut at the time. And so I remember I, my experience of that event was really far away. It was from like a telescope. Like it just, it felt very distant for me. It felt very removed. Um, I remember sort of just, I remember being very like sad and afraid and like, is this going to happen now where I am? Which I think is like a very, you know, like teenage centric thing to think, um, but it wasn't, I didn't feel the fallout. Like I went to school and it was all Arabs because I was in Lebanon, right? Um, but I remember watching the bombs being dropped on Iraq. Iraq? Why did I say it like that? Iraq. <laughs> it's it's Iraq. weird when you're saying, it's like saying Iraq. hummus. Like yeah, you feel, yeah, yeah, you feel yeah, horrible. Yeah, like you want to, yeah, I want to die. I'm like, it's hummus. I, I hear my dad, even when I type it with like two, a, yeah, two U's instead of like an O or something, I hear my dad like yelling at me. Yeah. yeah like why are you, are you saying it like that? Yeah. But that, I remember that like watching when the invasion happened and just like that, I actually felt closer to that event in a lot of ways, probably because I was geographically closer to that event um, than to 9-11 and, and sort of just being like, oh my God, like that was... I feel like we had an interesting vantage point into like this, I want to say impact of 9-11, but that is so misleading because it was not an impact of 9-11 in the sense mm-hmm. that like it was not because of, I thought it wasn't because of weapons of mass destruction. That's Iraq, like, for Iraq for the rest of you. That's Iraq for the rest of you. Iraq. Oh my God. I remember. Yeah. It was, it yeah. Just, uh, yeah, but I just mean it was like, just a big cultural shift in America for people. Yeah, of course, of course. Of course. People started asking me if my dad knew Osama. <laughs> I don't like, envy anybody that was here. Like, yeah. this was, because I was in Virginia 
I think I was in Virginia at the time and j- j- only for the rest of that school year. And then my mom was like, fuck no. And we went to yes. Greece. But, um, uh, yeah, like people, that was like a genuine question. And then I, I thought when we came back, cause I came back for high school, I was like, oh, high schoolers are like almost people. Mm-hmm. And this is like, this event is like pretty far removed now from, or not that far, but like, you know, it had been a few years where it was like, you know, this isn't going to come up anymore. I'm very light skinned. Like there's no reason why anybody should look Mm -hmm. at me and think, oh, you're weird. But in Alabama, especially, no, like I, of all, like the fact that I stand out in Alabama. Do you stand out in Alabama? Yes. And people, you have like dark hair, dark dark features, dark eyes, like like a big nose. And in Alabama, everyone's like blonde and like, like that. Yeah. I'm doing like a pig nose. Like. Like, they have that, like, you know, tiny upturned nose. The ski nose. slope. Exactly, mm-hmm. yes. That's the nice way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> they have a ski slope nose. So it was, yeah, people would ask me all the time, like, what are you? And, like, um, they would ask if, because I had just moved from Greece, they would ask if people in Greece live in trees. <laughs> they, they like, oh, my God. I got asked if I lived in a sand dune. Yes. The, the, and they, I'm concerned about the education in this country. Oh, you should. Oh, you should. Oh, don't. Well, just side note. When I moved from middle school in Palestine to high school in Alabama, I had to take a year uh, higher in math and science because I had already taken those subjects no in, in Palestine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know it. if that's I like... It. I mean, public school system I would, is not great I like, in a lot of places in this country. But, and then they think that we're uneducated. And Anyway, but yeah. It's, yeah no, no, it, it's just crazy. And, it, and those were like earnest questions. And my dad works for NASA, mm-hmm. so he does like a lot of aerospace stuff. And the town that we lived in in Alabama was very military. So, like, people would genuinely ask, like, oh, does your dad, like, did he learn how to fly planes to become <coughs> a hijacker or something? And I would I would have to be, like, because I had just come from a place where that type of, like, even Greece is, like, actually very racist. And the bigger issue in Greece wasn't being Arab or being other. It was just being Muslim because Greece mm. is, like, a very Christian country. But it wasn't, it's funny because oh, yeah, like, Greek racism that. is so hundreds and hundreds of, or thousands of years old that you're just, kind of, it's easier to shrug off yeah. because you're like, they were born that way, yeah. right? Whereas here in the States, like, no, there, there was this huge shift very recently in yeah. American history. And it's it's been so, like, there, there's so little you can do for something like that because it's not systemic in the way that, like, racism against black people or Latino mm-hmm. people is systemic, Right. It's more like it, it's the interactions you have with people, yeah. and and that almost makes it feel like really personal. Like and and for them, I'm sure for people that carry this level of hatred in their heart, I think yeah. it is very personal. Like they see you, and they're like, and you represent, this, yeah, like, you the represent worst thing something. That ever happens in this country, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The yeah. worst terrorist attack, and right. then like right, 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 you right. know, thousands of soldiers dying in right. unnecessary wars overseas after the fact, and they aren't able, just like. I wasn't able to kind of distinguish between like different types of white culture. They're not able to distinguish between right. the distinct right. um, Arab issues and the distinctness Identities. of like yeah. the U.S.'s occupation in certain places. Right. So right. to them, it's all having to do with 9-11. And even the legislation that's written about the use of military force overseas is also written in a way that is kind of a catch-all when it absolutely shouldn't be. Right. And yeah, there's just... The, like what can you do when it's something so deeply ingrained in people yeah. now what you volunteered also Leila, in uh in greece um for the syrian refugees mm-hmm. so what was the sentiment there uh with That's greek a great people question, yeah. um, with like what after how the, did the, the refugees syrians feel about how greek did people? the greek 
Greek. How did the Greek? Oh my feel? god! Oh, it was well. First of all, can you speak I, on behalf of all Greek? I can yeah. speak. Can on you be cultural ambassador? As we're talking about cultural like cognizance <laughs> and like sensitivity, you're like tell me about well, Greek. I was like on our camp because, like you mentioned, Hala, there were so many Palestinian or various kinds of refugees in Damascus and Aleppo before the Syrian war. Right that they we had in the camps that I worked on, like lots of Palestinians who had lived in Yarmouk right. and who got displaced as right. like double like mm-hmm. this palimpsest of displacement that they had, which was so fascinating. But because of our last name, I was like really famous and everybody wanted to be my friend and talk to me. So even mm-hmm. though my Arabic was so weak or is so weak, um, and they could barely speak to me. They would like they were they were so yeah. loving. Like it was literally like they like sought you out. Yeah. They would seek me out and they they trusted me a lot more than a lot of the European volunteers, which was amazing because that's not something that you experience in the States, obviously. Yeah, right, right. Um, so that was one thing. But the the Greeks, it's, I don't want to, it's so hard for me not to be like really hateful because it is like something I was on the receiving end of when I was younger and I like had terrible memories from living in Greece. Like I really, really? disliked it. Yeah, I hated mm. it. And then I went back reluctantly because I wanted to do this type of work and um i was like maybe i'm just you know i was a teenager and i was just being like a little bitch when i was there and i just thought everybody hated me because that's just what you think but i the main job that i had when i worked on those camps was being a translator in the hospital and so so many women on the camps are usually pregnant right because that's just it's a huge problem what were you translating from i was translating usually i speak greek I speak Greek, and then I know knew enough Arabic that I could like if they were like I'm in pain or like you could do Greek to Arabic, yeah, or Arabic to Greek. I could do like like right, right, right. a little bit of Arabic, and then I could yeah, talk I to the doctors. Yeah. So if I didn't have an Arabic translator with me, so we would have to do like mm-hmm. multiple levels of translation, then I would be fine. But it was always better because it's medical stuff. Like it's always better to have to be someone accurate, fluent yeah. because yeah. you never That's know. That's hard. How Even if you are be. fluent, you have to get like, oh, yeah. special training in medical oh, yeah, terminology. Because sure. like a lot of us would be like, oh, like we've never had to think of the word for like earlobe or elbow like elbow i was just yeah. thinking i don't know oh i know it cool. in arabic cool. yeah. which sounds so aggressive cool. Cool. but um yeah so I, w- I would take people to the hospital um which was and it was primarily pregnant women because that was like the number one like quote-unquote health issue that was there and the greek hospital system was and is already so like lacking in resources that they could barely and can barely take care of like greeks which is that's a, that's valid and that's an yeah, economic yeah. problem that they are actually it's like facing. a strain system yes so they will imagine and greek people are also like very salty and like cantankerous so they were already like <laughs> like i as like and i have greek citizenship i have a greek passport i have a greek first name so like i can yeah. i can get on fine and even i remember going to the doctor and it being miserable like when yeah. i was a kid so but we would have like doctors that would refuse care to like our patient. Oh. Yeah, it was so oh, it was so traumatizing. Oh. And it was these women were like the most amazing women in the entire world. They were just like some of them were like they didn't have their husband with him or he, or with them and or he had died and they were just like pregnant and had like 10 kids and we're just like yeah I'm, i mean i'm fine like everything's fine I'm, yeah and they were like i'm here that's I'm just women we put up yeah, with so much we, women all over shout out but, to women yeah, they were, <laughs> truly they were just so strong and so incredible but um they yeah doctors would like refuse care and i remember um occasionally we would have like people that work in the hospital who um, we're kind of on our side like who are a liaison between like camp people and like the mm-hmm. regular hospital staff 
And one of those women, one time, I was having trouble with a doctor who wouldn't give care to one of my patients. And I asked, uh, I told the woman who is like a local, I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, Mm. I'm not also like the most like in your face type of person. And then she started screaming at him. And she was like, in Greek, she was like, what would you do if it were me? What would you do if I was the patient? And he just yelled back and he was like, you're not. Like, you're not the patient. So I don't care. Like, tell her to go home to her own place and they can give her care. And it was was so awful. And it was so... By the end of it, I was there for a few months. And by the end of it, I was just so... um, Like, like jaded from it. And I just felt like... I don't feel like I did anything. Because, like, so many people got turned away or like got mistreated and it was was, yeah it was really horrible and they would also treat them like because there are so many different things culturally especially about like women's health that like probably because women's health is such a taboo and so oh yeah in our culture totally people don't know you don't know know what to say like the woman wouldn't even know what to describe to me right and then she would be uncomfortable with a male doctor which yeah. is not uniquely muslim at all no. i know several american and then they'd women. get like uncomfortable they'd get yeah. like judgy so, about it exactly so everybody would be like like pissed off and in a terrible mood and you just are like dude we're just Jeez. trying to give people help and the red cross also didn't have enough resources to deal with it so it was just I mean, like, it's uh, a huge crisis i mean yeah, I can't, exactly i can't imagine that one country or even several can absorb that. Yeah, it is like it is a kind of like un, unfortunate circumstance that of all the countries in Europe, like the ones that are closest to to be able to help are already in their own They're, they have crises situations. going on. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that um, like it's just like it's it's so unfair. Like it's so unfortunate yeah. that like a Syrian refugee will have had to, by the time they make it to Greece, which is just the first step into Europe, will have already been a refugee in three other countries. Like they're already oh, it traumatized like yeah. time after like, time after time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was it was and the re- luckily though, like people because of the language barrier, it's not. I don't remember any of our refugees like feeling the racism that they were oh that's interesting the so they just didn't know what was being said yeah they don't know what's going on and like also, ignorance is blessed I guess, I guess. Is, like the situation and, and where it works both out, of yeah. these cultures are like very loud and vocal and like yell I can just imagine a lot of like hands yeah, 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 yeah exactly like you can't know if a conversation is bad or good you know because like, like in, in my it family, all looks violent yeah, exactly. <laughs> all <laughs> angry. my dad is always yelling but sometimes it's a good yelling it's really fine so yeah, they for like thankfully like um, as long as like we kept on a happy face and we we're like everything's fine like don't worry yeah. it would be fine but it was it was it was yeah it was I feel so like I'm so grateful that a lot of the most of the babies that we helped like deliver like were healthy and Aww, fine given the circumstances yeah so I was gonna just say yeah but like infant and fetal health like that's so it was like they didn't even so have high diapers. risk oh. yeah it was like. The the one good thing I guess is that it's really easy to get an abortion in Greece. So oh, interesting. Yeah, so the, we we could get a That's lot great. of the mothers' so abortions if people if wanted. They wanted yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, like really easily. Like you could just go to the Red Cross. Hear that, people hear in that Al- America, Alabama, <laughs> go to, just go to Greece. That's yeah. crazy. Hear that, Mike Pence. Um, I hear a little attack Greece now. Uh, that's crazy. Wow. Oh, how long ago did you go there? Wow, I guess it was like a year and a half since from yeah. now like it was last summer and fall of 2016 wow wow what an experience now how to, as a clinical psychologist do you work with a lot of arabs or any refugee have you worked with any refugees yeah or? i do um i'd say most of the practice are people that are of color and actually i would say most are arabs 
How does that happen? To varying degrees, like, um, to varying degrees, meaning like how Americanized or how, Mm. how how ingrained in the culture they are assimilated. How does it happen? It happens because I, I advert, I mean, like on psychology today, I have Craigslist, (laughs) Craigslist, street ads, Tinder. Um, yeah. I mean, I have like a blurb about myself and I identify as like I'm Arab I'm culturally Muslim I'm you know X, Y, or Z um, I work at the I'm the liaison for the Islamic Center at the Counseling Center at NYU so I work with that population of NYU students and then in private practice I just like have a do lot you, of people that reach out do you do any um, therapy in Arabic I do, do and do it's always how does like, that feel like- I mean it feels it's it's you know I, I understand it perfectly I cannot always articulate perfectly. And so I will very much give that disclaimer from the beginning. So the people that I will do therapy in Arabic with, um, so a lot of the people that I do it with are like, there's like a mishmash of like English and Arabic. Mm -hmm. So you're sort of code switching every other sentence and like, that's just how they think. That feels normal to me, but trying to stick to one. But so the people that I have that are um, like newly immigrated, refugees, like that's a little bit more complicated because it's just Arabic. And so I will just tell them like, I don't know. I, there are words I don't know. I won't, I won't be able to express myself a hundred percent all the time. Um, be patient with me. And I talk about this in like my class, cause I teach it on my as well. And I talk about it in the classes of how there's always a power differential between therapist and client as much as we as therapists and psychologists like, like to talk about being collaborative and how can we minimize that power differential? It's, it's there, it's in the mm-hmm. room. And I actually find that being able to sort of like stammer a little bit in a language and struggle finding a word and having your client correct you. I find that it is actually really beautiful. Puts you on it helps a you, closer wavelength. you vulnerable too. Yeah. You're just like, I don't know everything and I'm fallible. And oh my God, I forgot the word for like tangerine. Uh, I don't know why you'd be talking about tangerine. That's the one Like I forgot the word for whatever. And like, and then the client also gets the sense of like mastery. And like, so it actually has only been a positive experience. It, Albeit sometimes like an embarrassing one for me, where I'm like, oh, I man. I feel like when I speak to someone who's native, even though I speak fluently, I my accent sounds like like I've never spoken Arabic before. I'm like, what is this coming out of my mouth? I think I just get nervous that they're judging me for, even though I'm sure they're not. I'm sure they're like, your accent changes depending on who you're speaking to. Um, I think think when I go to Palestine, well, I think I have like a, a normal undeductible uh, Palestinian (laughs) accent. As soon as I get in a taxi and I'm like, can I go to blah, blah, blah. They're like, where are you from? I'm like, Oh, or we're in America. Are you from? And then they start listing their relatives that live in like Chicago, and they're like, "Do you or know like my cousin Muhammad?" I want to get married or whatever. Oh God! Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, for me, it's like even more like I've because my mom's mom Syrian was Syrian. She passed away last year, and my father's Palestinian. My mom speaks with a Lebanese accent. We lived in Beirut for a long time, but like my father always spoke with a very strong Palestinian accent. So my accent is like no matter where I am. Like, oh yeah, I'll talk to Palestinians and they'll be like, "Oh, you're Lebanese." And I'll be in Lebanon, and they'll be like, "Oh, you're Palestinian." Do you not sound Lebanese to Pal- uh, to, to Lebanese no. to Lebanese people? No, no. Lebanese people also to yeah. I guess you've like, got a like little mishmash of accents racist. or dialects. You've got a little bit of a mish. Yeah, a mishmash, and like there are certain words that like slip by, like that that are very extre- like extremely Lebanese, and then there are words that have just I've gotten coded in my head as like being very Palestinian. Yeah. And Leila, did you learn Greek before English, or how? It, n- I I actually don't even know when we started being taught Greek because it was like 
for, like my earliest memories include like Greek uh, you were also, and stuff. Yeah. Were you born and, there? No, I wasn't born there. I was born in I Virginia. Oh. No, you shouldn't. I feel like I should. Where were you born? In Alabama. Okay, I didn't know Not that. to brag. But I moved to Palestine when I was six brag. months till I was four, so I actually learned Arabic first. Yeah. And that, and then I moved back and like started K-5. Well, yeah, so. it's funny because I think because my parents did not, neither, now my dad knows obviously very good English. My stepmom, she'll get mad at me for saying this, but like, mm-hmm. it, it she's pretty good. I've now, spoken to her. Now that she's in Korea, it's oh. gotten so bad. I don't know how. Like, <laughs> oh, because she's only speaking English with the people she works with. But it, <laughs> oh I, yeah, I'm I like she's not speaking Korean. I have a theory that like ESL people, when they're speaking to other ESL people, their brain switches to that version of yes. the language. Well, so, and you reinforce the grammar mistakes. Yeah, exactly. If there's not someone who's going to echo but back they, the like, correct structure. But they also switch to their grammar mistakes yes. instead of... Yes, yes, or yes. If those, if they, they inherit grammar mistakes from each other. Thir- yeah. If the, I guess, first and third languages mm-hmm. are um, similar in grammatical mm-hmm. structure, then yeah, it reinforces them yeah, a yeah. lot. So, yeah. so like, my stepmom never says, like... She never says I in sentences or she never or she takes out like the verb am or be like whatever the sentence is mm. normally. And now that she's in Korea, that's like t- times All a thousand. It oh, it's so strange. I'm like talking to her and I'm like, what happened? But but for Greek, yeah, like we started learning um, it at home like very early on. And as a result, my grammar is like so shitty. Like I have no mm. like it, but even in English. my And because I moved to Greece younger when you still learn like grammar in school my english grammar is also really really terrible so you miss out those years in english because yeah i miss it like because my school didn't like right teach like that kind of english grammar so it was just it was uh so yeah i i struggle a lot i'm sure even just from listening to this conversation like a listener would be like what the fuck why good thing you chose journalism as a career (laughs) no i'm surprised to hear you say that i yeah i didn't think that at all because you're a writer but i also went to school in alabama like you're a beautiful writer (laughs) yeah right right. we were all public school educated so i don't know i technically uh, i I went to like 15 different like primary schools oh of course yeah yeah, so i actually i would say it's pretty down the middle me too actually Minus two, but it's still actually but, yeah. We did private in the Middle East. Yeah, like it's, here, it's. I I also went to like a small Christian, mostly Christian schools in Alabama, and then they're public last or private. Private, I mean, because public are sec- are supposed to be secular, but um, you know, that's, that's what Alabama. I was like. I was like, maybe no, no, no. They're yeah, they're, they're private. I even went to a, a, a Southern Baptist college, so like it really did was not it, end. Did they like? do southern baptist things yeah we had to go to like um we had like a credit you had to go to like church once a week and you had mm-hmm. to get like once a credit a week every week well you had to accumulate like 70 credits to graduate of church yeah okay. it's like it wasn't called church i forgot what it was called it was at a it was at the church on campus was it mass do they, no do they it's not them? mass it's like ah uh, actually mass i had to that go to mass there. in high school Oh, you my had to little brother, but that's high. Yeah, my little brother. He, we went to the same high school, and but he has like allergies, so like he like conned my dad into taking him out of school every week during mass to get his like allergy shots. And I was like, oh, what the fuck? Smart. Like, why do I have to? What? Why do I have to do this? That's and smart. Like, literally taking him out of school every just for that time. Week. Yeah, I went eleventh and twelfth grade. We went to a Quaker high school. Really, Atlanta the high friends school in Lebanon. No, is there friends in Lebanon? Because my um, brothers went to Quaker 
high school in Palestine. It was called Ramana. Yeah, it was. It was like a great. It was actually wonderful. I've heard. And I've once heard a week we do these like awesome the meetings. Quakers. The Quakers are good. Shout yeah, out good. to the Quakers. Yeah. Quakers are good. We don't talk about them enough. And now I'm like worried. Like maybe there's some huge scandal we don't know about, and yeah. we're like endorsing the Quakers. But as far as I know, yes. the Quakers are good folks. Have your no news is good news. <laughs> What's funny about that though is that because I went to Catholic high school and because so many people accuse me of being related to Bin Laden and <laughs> all the stuff, as I, one does, I associated Catholicism as being the strictest, most hateful religion oh, in the United States. Yeah. Which once I left Alabama, I discovered wasn't no. the case. Like Catholicism is actually like people who are Catholic in the United States tend to be like more on the liberal side liberal, and are yeah. like yeah. really progressive yeah. and. Not it's totally and yeah. in Palestine, most people it's are so Catholic or Orthodox. In this country yeah. too, though everything is so geographical. Like it depends on what state, what part of the country. Yeah, it is, part. and we can't really generalize because people feel the exact same way about Islam. So oh, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I feel like they just have so much more ammo these days with Islam. Yeah. <laughs> anytime you yeah. say, like, oh my God, did you ever, if there in Alabama, see these bumper stickers that said like everything I need to know about Islam I learned on nine eleven. No. Oh my god, they were like so rampant in but like that, our town. That, I feel like that sums up. So that's like an abhorrent idea, but I actually feel like that sums up really but brilliantly the attitude towards oh, yeah. Islam. The ig- that, like, also the ignorance of that's all they learned and that's what they're no, going of course, off of. But, but, but yeah, but that actually kind of speaks to Phoebe's earlier point of like why it's so it is such a visceral, physical, personal mm-hmm. like like it feels very much like a an personal attack account, on like yeah. selfhood. Yeah. And it's it's so different because America was, is so peaceful. Like it's not they don't grow up with the stories that like we grew up with, where like everyone we know knows somebody who's died in a war or d- died in. I'm just peaceful yeah. if you're a certain. Yeah, and it's, it's not peaceful if you're like a black man. Of course not. Yeah, especially yeah in certain places. But, but yes, but like those communities, like I would imagine, yeah. like in Alabama, like it's not there are not there's not like they bombings just, happening exactly. in Alabama. There, like it's not. No, yeah, yeah, there's a very there's for, not like a civil war or something. Privileged yeah. America, there's. Yes. A very distant relationship to violence, yes. which is good totally. for them and like totally. bless them. Totally. That's totally. a very good place to be in. But that's not true for black Americans. Ideally, it would be true for everybody. For yeah. yeah, that's a great. It's the not like I want to. I don't want to take that away from like white privileged yeah. Americans. No, no. I would love to see it like spread to other exactly. communities. Yeah, yeah. but it is. It is. Such but a it does. It is. It, it is also like I think explains some of the lack of imagination too in that population in that community. Yeah. Is that if you don't come into if there isn't any interaction with like violence or political upheaval or strife or anything like that i do think that there is it's very easy to boil down an entire like and it's much more traumatizing yeah yeah Yeah. or not more traumatizing but more distinctly traumatizing hada's dog is licking us and i just want (laughs) to say that it's making me really uncomfortable (laughs) because i didn't grow up with pets i know and she is a very young puppy no she's she's cute i'm just uh I have no social skills around animals because I was not brought up with animals. My brothers love dogs, though. I I wasn't brought up with animals either, and I really love dogs. But to be fair, I've never experienced the bad side of having pets. Like, I've never had to, like, pick up a dog's poo. Yeah. So I don't, I guess I can't speak. Well, it's (laughs) transcendental. It's a fabulous experience. Hi, needy girl. Do your, do your parents have like dogs? My dad was like, well, I guess I'm never coming to your house again. <laughs> um, my Yeah, no, my, my dad hates dogs. My mother 
my mother is like all talk like she likes to talk about how she hates things but then like if you're not looking she will be like feeding the dog <laughs> so she actually she'll get into very it excited about it yeah she was very concerned about juniper being bit and like asked a lot of follow-up questions <laughs> <laughs> um so how did you feel um you know that your background and kind of growing up all over how do you feel that's influenced like your creativity and your writing um if at all, I'm sure, I mean, from reading your books, obviously I know it has, yeah. but can you speak to yeah, that a of little course. bit? I mean, I think for me, it's, it's, I've, my understanding of the world was always a chaotic one, kind of like the two of you alluded to earlier. We were in a different school almost every year from K through 12. We moved constantly. We, you know, we changed countries, continents, all of that stuff. And I think there was... I just grew up with this understanding of the world as being this very chaotic, unstable place that you can't trust. And I definitely inherited. So there's the intergenerational trauma, I think, of like Palestinianism. And then also I was like four during the Gulf War. So I don't know what I internalized. Mm -hmm. Like I have very, very brief memories of that time. But I know it was a time of like terror in the family. And I was like around my very pregnant mother and we had to leave my dad back behind in Kuwait so like I can only imagine what it was like to like be part like you know sort of separated from my father um so I think by the time I learned how to read and write books in general and stories in general became like a safe haven for me because here's the thing about a book is like I can read the same book in Athens I can read it in Beirut I can read it here I can like that is that's like you get to enter a room that's the same room no matter where you go, uh, even if everything else changes. And the same is true for writing. Like it just became kind of this this one thing that I had control over was like I could tell a story the way I wanted to and I could end it the way I wanted to and I could have the characters do whatever I wanted. And I think that's like a superhero power for like a seven-year-old who doesn't feel like they have any say over like where they go to school or like how bullied they are, what gets to happen It next. grounded you. It, totally. It became, it really became like the, it was the your most anger, stable yeah. thing. It was a stable thing. Yeah. It was the most like the most stability that I had. Um, and then I think I've now like getting older and becoming a little bit more refined and sophisticated in writing and my understanding of writing and storytelling. It very much is like, I feel like I occupy a space now where writing serves the function of being comfortable with the idea that there is no stability. And like, it is a way of ordering the chaos, but it's also a way of making peace with the chaos, which has also making sense of it. Yeah, totally. And like accepting it, like sort of being like, well, I'm going to like set a room at the table for the chaos because it's always going to be part of life. Um, That's certainly part of certain lives more than others, I think. And where can our listeners read about your work and see your work? Um, So the novel's called Salt Houses. It's in the bookstores and on the wherever books are sold (laughs) yeah wherever books are sold you don't know the internet by now I can't help you you're not listening (laughs) I don't know how you're listening to this yeah um and then the collections of poetry are out there and I have a new collection that's coming out in January by Houghton Mifflin called the 29th year awesome and so you can also go to halaalian.com yes yes to get all that information uh is there anything else you want to add Layla um, in terms of health, I would like to know if the 29th year is about your 29th year. It is about my 29th year. It's a very literal title. That's <laughs> no, very like perceptive. That. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, you know, I went to Stanford. Let's so, like, <laughs> like, make up for like, the Alabama. Pay attention. <laughs> um, 
No, I feel like that's a great... That makes me want to read it, I feel like, because I'm like, oh. I actually have a, these, like, advanced copies in that little oh, drawer really? that I'll give you a copy of. Yeah. Yes, okay. Yeah. It's a very... I mean, it's it's probably the most personal and honest sort of, yeah, like, confessional is it work. Is it very obviously autobiographical in that sense, or is it... Um, Probably more than anything else I've written. It's probably the closest thing to memoir, but I also, like, I play around with reality very much in poetry so a lot of it is like imagined reality or alternative endings to things that really happened um so i wouldn't say it's exactly memoir but it's definitely playing around with the truth yeah yeah it's good stuff thank you so much this was such a great conversation no it was great this is wonderful wait ethere where can we find you online um at ethere yakub etheriakub.com you're so lucky you have like it's this short, great, beautiful yeah. last name. Like fuck both of you. <laughs> I know. I'm glad. I'm glad they made my dad shorten it at the hospital or whatever it was. The reason. And what about you, Layla? Where can we read about your work? Um, my Twitter is pl barghouti, so it's it's b a r g h o u t y. And you know what's funny is that every single person who asks me on Twitter or even when I get my paychecks, like everybody writes it with an I. Like We do too. Yeah. We write it T-H-I. Yeah. Like, oh, yours is with a Y? Yeah. It's with oh, a, my dad that. wrote it with a Y, but nobody different. gives a fuck. Everybody's like, fuck your Y. Yeah. Take this I. And That's like my, I have cousins. My dad's brothers did E-L-Y-A-N instead mm. of A-L-Y-A-N. Yeah, I know people Alien, that do E-L-Y-A-N. Yeah. It's, it's weird, but, um, and then my writing, I mean, if you just search my name, it comes up. Everywhere. And we'll put stuff in the show notes so people can oh, just. We'll put so much in there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everything. We'll just transcribe this entire podcast into the show Maybe notes. Maybe one day I'll share my Guantanamo butt picture. Yeah. I know. I was going to say I, that earlier, and I'm like, I don't know. That's the first thing I'm going to do after we're done here is like. You can follow <laughs> Layla on Instagram. I won't accept people. She will not accept <laughs> Especially now. You can try. Yeah, you can try. You can make But you will not be accepted. Um, cool. But yeah. Awesome. Uh, that's it. All right. Thanks. Thank you.